show no 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 I needed you today so where did you go you told me to call said you'd be there and though I haven't seen you are you still there I cried out with no by my side I'll hold tight to what I know you're here and I'm never I cannot see you and I can't explain why such a deep deep reassurance you placed in my I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. What we're going to do now is turn this studio into a church. And I want to invite you to join me for worship and study. Welcome. My prayer as always is that the music and the message will be a blessing. Would you hear now please the reading of God's word. It comes from the Psalms 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I want to add that to the word son should be daughter, all children. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for prayer? Oh God, your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
William Gladstone and Thomas DeWitt Talmadge were one day discussing the great issues of the world. We are talking about questions of states and races and creeds. Unexpectedly, quite unexpectedly, Gladstone turned to the great American preacher and said, there is but one question. Settle that and you settle all the rest. That question is Christianity and it must be settled at home. And then he said, the homes of the people are the soul of the nation. I wonder if we in the 21st century still believe that, that the homes of the people are the soul of the nation. The old joke goes, marriage is a three-ring circus. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and suffering. Seriously, I wonder if that is still true in this culture, that the homes of the nation are the souls of the people. For some reason, that seems a long sea mile from today's popular American family, the Simpsons. As humorous as they are, Homer and Bart and Marge and Lisa and Maggie, it is said that they represent a cracked mirror in the domestic life of America today. The question still is, do we believe that the homes of the nation are the soul of the people? That's the question. But evidently, that eminent British Prime Minister believed it, Gladstone, he believed that the Christian home was the answer to many of the problems of his nation. And I personally think that God is also hinting of that in the Bible. The God of the Bible is hinting that the home, patterned after the example of Jesus, is the basic answer to many of culture's problems. In essence, it seems to me that God has given us a number of family portraits in both the Old and the New Testaments, and that includes our scripture lesson today. There is certainly this family portrait in the Psalms, Psalm 127. What I'd like for us to do is, is unveil this psalm and see what we can see about God's family portrait. First of all, we see the basis for family stability. The basis for family stability. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now, a key word here is the word vain. This word vain is pointed out three times in the first two verses of this particular psalm. It points out earth's futile ways. There are three enterprises listed here that are all in vain without the Lord. First, building a home. Second, guarding a city. Third, toiling all day long and then having insomnia in the night. All of these activities are needed if God's will is to be done in our family life. But I want us to go back and see again the psalmist's underlying truth. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Arthur Will Durant tells a story of a young girl who came to her mother with an age-old question, does God exist? Does God exist? The mother didn't answer. She said, go ask your father. Well, she went to her father. He didn't have the answer either. And then there was a free verse written in her belongings. It said, I think if I had lived as long as my mother and my father, I would know something about God. As someone observed, the hardest thing to hide is something that isn't there. We may have a home full of furniture, 
full of cars in the garage, full of computers, full of television sets, full of great artwork, full of books. But if the practice of the presence of God is not there, our home is an empty home. Unless the Lord builds. Now this doesn't mean that we don't build our homes or our cities or earn our keep. We certainly do. Of course we do. Rather, it's a warning against the foolishness of trying to do these things alone. Trying to do these things without God. From the psalmist's point of view, the words in vain are a fitting motto of a godless existence. Fred Craddock has a story. It was the story of a young couple who every Sunday morning would bring their child to church and they would go for brunch. They would leave the church and go for brunch. They were an upwardly mobile kind of couple and they wanted to get ahead so they decided to entertain people in the city every Saturday night, those on the upcoming ladder. One night things got a little out of hand. There was a lot of drinking and a lot of loud noise and the little child in the house who had been asleep was awakened. This little child eased out of bed and eased down to about the third step on the stairway that led up to her room and she just sat there. Finally, one of the adults saw and they asked, what are you doing up? And she said, well, I noticed y'all were having a good time. And she said, I noticed there's drinking and eating and I'm wondering if you've had the prayer. And they all stopped, the party stopped. And so she prayed, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food, amen. She immediately said, y'all have a good time, and she went back upstairs. But let me tell you something, that party was over. Within 10 minutes, they were all gone. The next Sunday morning, Dr. Craddock said he looked out in the congregation, and he saw this girl. He knew her from Sunday school. He saw a couple with her that he had not seen before. He said when the invitation was given, this couple got up and came down and joined the church. And they told him the story. They said, you know, when we were picking up the leftovers of the party, going into the kitchen, we looked at each other and suddenly said, where are we heading in this family? Where are we heading in this family? And they said, we want to join the church because this is the place to begin. You know, I think it would do a lot of families good to ask that question. Where are we heading in this family? Unless the Lord builds the house. Let's think about that. How does the Lord build the house? The Lord builds the house when we are connected with God. Relationships always begin with people living together in community at home. The same thing is true with the spiritual relationship. It begins with the people living there together with us at home. Our task in the Christian home is to create a context whereby people can be connected with God. Let me say that again. Our task in a Christian home is to create a context whereby people can be connected with God. A woman named Cynthia, who had struggled in her adulthood, remembered her childhood. And she said she remembered getting up in the night and walking downstairs to the kitchen. And when she would go toward the kitchen, she would see her father. He would be kneeling in the living room saying prayers for the family. And she said that as she continued her journey, Growing up, she never lost sight of her father who would be kneeling in that living room saying prayers for the family. She said now she has a, a wonderful marriage, great children, a good job, and everything is going well. But she says she contributes her faith to seeing her father down on his knees in that living room praying for the family. And then Maya Angelou said when she began to doubt God, 
she would always see the picture of her grandmother standing up and towering above everybody. She would be between the moon and the sun, and she would be standing there. And then he said, I knew that faith was the evidence of things not seen, and all I had to do was keep on trying to be a Christian. How very important that is. How very important it is for all of us to know. I repeat, our task in a Christian home is to create a context whereby people can be connected with God. Now I want to go back to the Simpsons for a moment. You know where the patriarch Homer, what he generally says, what he's known as, he's known for these words, now you little, and then there's Bart, the obnoxious 10-year-old boy. He said to his father after he beat him in a video game, he said, Dad, you know, you really are bad at this. And then there was Lisa, the little second grader who's always trying to connive to get in with the grown-ups. She's known as a sniveling toad or an egg sucker or something worse by her brother. The little girl Maggie hasn't spoken yet, but I'm sure she's going to speak. Well, as somebody said, if all of these represent a cracked mirror in domestic life in America today, we would do well to heed what I'm trying to say here. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And then secondly, we see a blue ribbon on children. How needed this blue ribbon is on children in the 21st century. Several years back, a couple was trying to decide whether they were going to have a child. And so they decided to write to Ann Landers to ask her about it. And they asked Ann Landers to write in a column asking parents, if you had it to do over again, would you have kids? And so Ann Landers printed the letter. She received boatloads of replies, 10,000. Seventy percent of those parents said this, if they could do it over again, they would not have children. They would not have children. That was absolutely astounding to me. And evidently, it must have been astounding to Ann Landers because Ann Landers wrote another article in Good Housekeeping magazine in which she said, you know, I have been at this 20 years and I thought I was foolproof, shockproof. But she said I wasn't. She said it really disturbed me what those 70% of parents said, that they would not have children again. That not only disturbs and Landers and me, but I'm sure it disturbs you. How refreshing then to hear what God says about children. First of all, God says in this passage that they are heritage, a gift. One scholar defined that word as assignment. Children are an assignment or a commission given to us by God. Secondly, the psalmist says that children are a reward. They are a reward. That is powerful to think about children as being a reward. Not an accident, not a tragedy, not a curse. They are a special favor from God. They are a reward. They are God's trophy given to us. There's a family called Neba, and American University decided to honor the family, and so they gave an honorary doctorate to a member of the family. But they didn't give it to Reinhold Neba, the most prophetic theologian in American history, nor did they give it to Richard Neba, a towering theologian, nor did they give it to Hulner Neba, who taught Christian education at McCormick Theological Seminary. They gave it to their aged mother, the one whose influence brought about one of the most distinguished families in American history. So children are considered to be a reward. And then the psalmist says, children are like arrows. Now arrows 
the presupposition is that these arrows are headed toward a target and the parents know what the target is. You know, my wife was a school teacher for a number of years. And so I asked her not long ago, I said, what do you think is one of the biggest weaknesses of families in America today, of parents in America today? And I was already thinking about some parents never grow up, some parents never give their children love, some parents never make their children a priority. But my wife said she thinks one of the biggest failure of parents today is trying to be the friends of their children rather than their parents and role model. And I think that's what the psalmist is saying here when he talks about children being arrows. The presupposition is they are launched and that the parents know to which target they are being launched. Now, I'm not an expert on raising children, but I don't think you have to be an expert. You don't have to be an expert to know some of the things that a child should receive from a home. And so what I'd like to do is just mention a couple of these things that a child should receive from a home. The first thing is a sense of parental harmony. A sense of parental harmony. Fortunate indeed is the child whose parents get along with each other. A husband said, you know what fun my wife and I used to have at the beach. I remember she would bury me in the sand, then I would bury her in the sand, and one day I'm going to go back and dig her up. Now that's just a joke of course, but how fortunate children are to have the parental harmony of their parents in which they can live in that environment. And then secondly, a sense of self-worth. Our children need to be taught a sense of their own self-worth, not in what they accomplish, not in what they do, not in how they look, how beautiful, or how handsome, but just for who they are. I love the story of a little boy who owned this turtle, and he played with the turtle all the time. He played with him before school, after school. One day he came home from school, the little turtle was feet up. Well, this just broke the little boy's heart. His mother tried to comfort him, but she couldn't. He said, maybe when your father gets home, he can give you some comfort. So when the father came in, he understood the situation. He called his little son over. He reached in his pocket. He pulled out a plastic cigarette case, and he said, son, we're going to bury the turtle in this case, and this will be his casket. And we're going to ask all the children over for ice cream and cake for the funeral. Will that be all right? The little boy said, yes, sir. So he grabbed his daddy's hand, and they went back around to pick up the little turtle. When they got back around there, the little turtle had flipped over and was walking around. All of a sudden, the little boy turned to his dad, and he said, Pop, let's kill him. Now, I don't know what you think of that story, but that's not really what's so important. Do you think a little boy would ever forget a father who was willing to have a funeral for a turtle? You see, by his action, that father was giving his son a deep sense of self-worth, how very, very important that is. And then thirdly, an understanding of reality, an understanding of reality. I remember reading about a successful parental seminar on children, and one of the parents came to the leader and asked this question. What is the best thing a parent can give a child? This parent was expecting some kind of magnificent answer. The leader simply said, I don't know the best thing, but I know one thing. Teach your child how to lose. What do you mean, said the parent? We don't want our children to lose. We want our children to win. How do you mean teach them how to lose? And this leader said, teach them how to lose because they will and they need to know how. We're talking about reality here. Reality doesn't always go the way we think it should. 
Reality is not easy when you're dealing with other people and the culture, and even with your own life. Teach them how to lose. And then fourthly, grace and limits. You know, a city or a town or a state or a nation without limits is anarchy. The same thing is true of a home. Children need to have some kind of limits. They need to have a balance of those limits. I'm talking about things like rules and consequences, boundaries and freedom, discipline and love, right and wrong, whatever. They need to have this balance if they're going to be children who are going to be secure and who are going to live life like they need to live it. And then a respect for others. I like the story of a little girl who came in from school late. Her mother asked her, where have you been? She said, well, Nancy lost a little puppy today and I've been helping her. The mother said, well, how have you been helping Nancy? little girl responded, I helped her to cry. Now, where does respect for others either begin or end? It's always in the home. The home is the place where everything begins good or it can become bad. The home is so critically important, a respect for others. And then an ideal of character, an ideal of character. The home, which a, a Christian grows up in, these children, they need to see an ideal of character. Is this what Jesus meant when he talked about people being a good influence, a good shadow? In other words, more is caught than taught anyway. So how very, very important that is. And then an understanding of love and forgiveness. Our children need to be taught how to forgive. Our children need to be taught how to apologize. How to apologize again and again and again because they'll need to do it. And then an acquaintance with Christ. What was it Paul said to the Romans? He said, greet also the church in their house. The family in essence should be the church in miniature. But Jesus Christ living in a person's house is not going to happen by accident. It has to be intentional. Those in charge have to cultivate that awareness if that is going to happen. Years ago, there was a play on Broadway in which an African-American mother was dealing with this daughter who had just become despicable in every way. She was a doubter, and she was just having a hard time. And so she said, I don't think God is alive. It's not important. It doesn't make any difference. The mother stood up in the integrity of her own faith, and she said, repeat after me. You say, in my mother's house, there is still God. This daughter looked at her mother and realized what her mother had done for her, and all those years had been with her in spite of the difficulties of life. And so she stood and said, in my mother's house, there is still God. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Lord, we're grateful for the home, the Christian home. We're grateful for all people who are struggling to make their home Christian. We ask your God, your divine help. We know we make mistakes. We pray that you'd guide us and use us in that effort. It's in your name. Amen. I hope you have a great evening. Thank you for joining us tonight, and a good night to you and your family.
protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while you hear each spoken need, yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? And what if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? And what if trials of this life are your mercies in disguise? This is not, this is not. 